0: You're listening to the You Media Podcast, episode number 61. Today on the podcast.
1: Make videos that you like doing, but that also are relevant to the community. I mean, 85 or 90% of my traffic on my videos are from Google search only and not returning subscribers. So that's a really interesting fact because... I make a lot of content that is highly Googleable, if that's a word. Mm-hmm. So if you're like, how do I make a logo reveal? And you type that in Google and my video comes up first, that's just currency on YouTube. So you have to be smart. You have to make stuff that your community wants, but you also have to make stuff that is highly SEO optimized. So do your research on what SEO is and make sure you get a YouTube optimizer. I use vidIQ for all of my YouTube videos. I make sure that I tag it and and optimize it so it's highly Googleable per se. But at the end of the day, don't focus too much on that. Make sure that you're doing stuff that you enjoy doing and that your community enjoys watching as well.
0: Hey, Ucrimedia family. Welcome to another episode of the Ucrimedia podcast. I'm your host, Vladimir Prognivsky. And today's guest is Kelsey Brennan, also known as the Premier Gal. She's the creator of Premier Gal Media. Her YouTube channel generated well over 5 million views and over 114,000 subscribers. Kelsey is also a director of creative growth at Whipster. In other words, Kelsey wears mini hats seriously she does look her up on Instagram if you don't believe me but before we jump into my conversation with Kelsey, I want to quickly tell you about our brand new product called Smart Lower Third. It's a keyframeless and modular lower third template for After Effects. It allows users to create many custom modular lower thirds from just a single After Effects template. It is very easy to use, quick to make changes, and it comes with 30 lower third presets for After Effects. You can check it out at ukremedia.com slash smart L3RD. Again, go to ukremedia.com smart L3RD. And now here's my conversation with Kelsey Brandon. Enjoy. Kelsey, welcome to the show. Before we jump into talking about your creative journey and all the amazing things that you're doing, how about share something interesting about yourself that most people don't know?
1: For sure. Well, thanks for having me here on the podcast. I think one thing that people don't know about me is that um, in high school, I was actually... A jock. <laughs> I played three sports. I was um I was on varsity for volleyball, basketball, and softball, and I really think that playing sports <laughs> like really gave me, I mean, obviously a competitive edge, but it also I don't know, helped me like time manage so much better. And although I decided to go with media and technology because I was taking classes simultaneously in high school on media, I ended up going with that, but I will always appreciate that sport moment (laughs) of my life and it's some of the best memories I've ever had playing on a team with other people
0: no that's definitely awesome what sport (laughs) do you like the most
1: oh gosh I think I had I I love love basketball and I really enjoy watching basketball but I loved playing volleyball so much more because it's a lot of like strategy and it's not contact which is kind of cool but your knees do have contact. And I, it's amazing because, um, you know, you don't really think about the impact on your knees, but man, it's pretty brutal falling on the ground.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Volleyball is a brutal sport. Now, can you use your feet? I always wonder about that. I'm a soccer player. Uh, so I always, I'm always tempted to use my feet.
1: I think in beach volleyball, you can put your leg out and have it bounce, but I don't know. They, they're always like updating the rules, but I don't think <laughs> no so. I, yeah. I don't think so.
0: Ah, bummer. Well, I guess volleyball (laughs) is not my sport Then. Now, I'm curious, you mentioned something, you said time management. And I mean, looking at your resume, you're doing a lot of things. I don't know how you do it all, but uh, apparently you're amazing at time management. Now, do you have any tips, tricks, advice on how to manage your time? What's working
1: for you? I think just saying like in terms of like video production, like on my YouTube channel, I kind of just kind of outline a few ideas for a month or I have like a longer project I'm working on. And I'll only designate like a couple days to working on that in the evening because I work full time now, I have to be extra careful because, you know, unfortunately, you know, video production does take a long time. So what I end up doing is filming one night after work and then the next evening I will edit it. And usually now I have like a pretty good rhythm and I have all my MoGraph all set up and everything like as templates that I can edit pretty quickly now. But yeah, usually it, you know, for my videos, it's, it's highly researched beforehand. So I usually spend about a week kind of reading up on everything because I'm providing people like technical advice. Right. And I don't want to be giving them the wrong information. And I usually um, actually, you know, rely on the help from, you know, other pros in the field because um, I can be like, Hey, like I had a question about this. I know that you're an expert in it. I have a few questions. I'm making a tutorial. And I think that I gained those skills from, you know, talking about sports and time management, but also working on a team with other people and knowing how to communicate well. So like if I had a question about MoGraph, I would probably ask you guys and be like, hey, you guys, like I have a question about master properties. Am I saying this right? Because ultimately, you know, what's the wrong thing about asking? What's the worst that would happen? You may not get a response, but ultimately I think that you're doing yourself a favor and the audience a favor. So yeah, the research component, I just kind of do that, you know, in a spare moment at lunch or in free moments, I'll think of cool ideas. Even when I'm watching TV at night, I'll be like, Oh, that's a cool effect. How did they do that? And then I'll start like researching stuff and how I can create it. And it's an educational opportunity for myself because we're all lifelong learners and I don't want to be just spitting out the same thing all the time. Right. I want to keep myself educated and continually growing. So when I look at it that way, to me, it's less about trying to get a project done. And it's more about continually evolving and having fun and just growing in general.
0: And, you know, I was just looking at your YouTube channel, just like a month ago, I glanced at it and had like 90 something thousand. And now you're at 113,000. And so you crossed over the 100,000 subscribers mark. So you'll be getting that silver play button soon, right? Did you get it yet?
1: No, I think, I think think you have to apply for it, right? It's really weird. I contacted them and I was like, hey, you know, because it's kind of like this cliche thing. Oh, the silver play button. But it's like a cool thing to get. So I contacted. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I haven't gotten it yet. And I contacted YouTube support and I went on like a chat with them. I was like, hey, how do I claim this? And they said that after like you get into like the 100K threshold, like a little bit longer, you'll get a notification in your YouTube creator studio that you can claim it. But I haven't gotten any notification yet, so I'll probably reach back out to them again and be like, hey, like, what's going on here?
0: (laughs) Seriously, and the new ones are amazing. And I was looking at your stats, over 5 million views, I mean, five and a half, really, to be exact. That's just incredible. And so I want to kind of, well, I was going to ask you to kind of walk us through your whole creative journey, but let's talk about YouTube for a second. How did you start your YouTube channel? What did that come about?
1: Yeah, that came about in um, July of 2016. It was really kind of an experiment for me because I had been working, believe it or not, I was living in Washington, D.C. at the time. And I was actually working at the State Department on their digital team there. That's pretty great. Yeah. So I have a lot of experience doing um, digital media for kind of in a foreign affairs context. And it wow. was super cool. Like we had a great team. You know, we had a little, I was kind of a shredder, a shooter, editor, producer. And <laughs> nice. uh, and we worked with like embassies around the world to create content to promote like diplomacy and education abroad. So like, you know, when you could study abroad, let's say in Ukraine, and you had that exchange experience, I got to interview those people that had those amazing experiences And it was pretty cool. So when I was there, a lot of the job was educating people about how to use video and how to deliver files to me. And I was really good at sort of explaining it and training people. And I was like, huh, maybe I can start like a side gig. And I also have like – I have a master's degree in documentary filmmaking and I have a pretty massive graduate student loan. So I was like, how do I make some extra money to pay off my student loan? So starting Hmm. YouTube was an experiment to see, hey – can I use this to help pay off my student loan, and so far it's working.
0: That's awesome, and the impact you've had in the community is just amazing. Now, what some what are some things that you've learned from YouTube? What are, like if you had to give advice for someone who is about to start a YouTube channel, what would you tell that one person to help them grow the, their YouTube channel?
1: Oh man, I would say just involve your community as much as possible. I try to do polls. I try to engage. Of course, you don't have to engage with everything because, you know, how YouTube is with the comments. Right. Some of, them, <laughs> some of them are definitely interesting, but I've been really lucky in having pretty positive experience. You'll occasionally get people in being like, oh, actually, it's like this way. And I'm like, well, right. yeah, there's many different ways to do it. <laughs> and I always take everything as a grain of salt. But the community has helped me a lot. You know, it's pushed me to improve every day. And by involving them, I mean, there is no... I said in my 100K subscribers video, like, there is no premiere gal without you guys, because without you guys, there is no community, right? So, the best advice I can give is like, make videos that you like doing, but that also are relevant to the community. I mean, 85 or 90% of my traffic on my videos are from Google search only and not returning subscribers. So, that's a really interesting fact because I make a lot of content that is highly Googleable, if that's a word. Mm-hmm. So if you're like, how do I make a logo reveal? And you type that in Google and my video comes up first, that's just currency on YouTube. So you have to be smart. You have to make stuff that your community wants, but you also have to make stuff that is highly SEO optimized. So do your research on what SEO is and make sure you get a YouTube optimizer. I use vidIQ for all of my YouTube videos. I make sure that I tag it and... And optimize it so it's highly Googleable per se. But at the end of the day, don't focus too much on that. Make sure that you're doing stuff that you enjoy doing, and that your community enjoys watching as well.
0: That's great advice. That's something we are not doing. We need to do more of that. Uh, <laughs> and I've noticed that you have three courses on Plural Site. Now that's pretty crazy. I, I mean, we have two, and the amount of time that goes into those—oh, lord, just, um, <laughs> a lot. So yeah, uh, what I had was your experience t- Oh, go Go ahead. ahead. Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) No, what was your experience uh, like working on these three courses for Pluricide?
1: Yeah, I actually had to turn down my last one and and hand it over to a friend that because I just I didn't have enough time. So I just was honest and was like, hey, I'm sorry. Like, I know we already agreed to this, but I really just can't do this right now. But here's another author that can do it for you. (laughs) So I um, it was definitely a great learning experience and it was so cool to get down into the nitty-gritty details on everything because on YouTube, while I try to explain everything, it was really nice to really break it down and say, you know, here's here's how you set up the project, here's how you do, you know, these little nuanced things that I would usually just blow over a little bit in a YouTube um, course. So it actually helped me refine my craft more doing that process. But it is a ton of work. So if you guys are considering doing a course you need like, especially if you have other things going on, you need like five months to really write it out and you need to take your time with it. And I know that there's a ton of courses on Udemy that are like pretty cheap and all of that. I don't know how much time those people put into it, but I'm pretty sure the people that are successful on that are doing that full time, you know, and, and everything else is kind of like, ancillary like on the side so you really have to look at it as a full-time job and I know some people that are just doing courses online like this as their full-time job so I don't think I would be doing a lot of future courses only if I feel like it's the right fit and I have material that I definitely want to cover otherwise you know it's kind of like writing a book and you have to be prepared for that
0: I was about to say that it really is like writing a book because first you write it all out it all starts on paper and then you go through and you kind of take things away. I mean, the last thing you do is start recording stuff. I mean, it's it's a lot of work. I, I always say this, that I remember when Sergey was working on our expressions course, I almost witnessed the guy in tears. <laughs> he was, I oh was God. Such a hard time. One sentence was taken forever to record and over and over and over again. Then oh, as yeah. you're working on the course, then you realize that, oh my gosh, I maybe I didn't explain this well. Then you have to go back and redo the whole thing and... yeah
1: yeah I mean you can you can do it two ways right you can script the whole thing and do the whole voiceover or as you start to get more comfortable you can just do it verbatim like kind of like naturally yourself but then again it you know if you work with certain online courses that don't like any ums or us then that right. can get really nitpickety. but if you're just making the course for yourself that you can sell on your own site i think you have a little bit more flexibility to just do it your way but when you're working on somebody else's standards like a specific color palette and stuff like that it can get it can get kind of soul crushing sometimes you're like ah oh, but it's it's good it's good enough right for my standard at least so yeah, it's, it definitely helps in those cases. I use um, Whipster, which is the company that I work for now and head of creative growth. I use Whipster to actually send any course assets that need to be reviewed because you can leave time-coded feedback on the videos themselves. So it actually helps the process because it's more visual and everything's in one place versus like an email like with like 20 things you need to change with like time codes. So that's super helpful to use that tool for it.
0: Yeah, Whipster is sweet. I kind of got to play around with it. I just love the usability of it is pretty clean and pretty cool. Well, it's definitely pretty sweet. I haven't had too much time to play with it, but it from what I saw, it was awesome. Now I, I do want to transition to your journey. I wanna I want to find out how you yep. get started in all this. Where did it all start for you?
1: Oh man, it started by accident in high school. This was
0: <laughs> I
1: think fifteen fifteen years ago. I thought I wanted to be an architect and I wanted to take, uh, I wanted to go into the physics academy at my high school. And this was just a public high school. It wasn't some private elite school or anything. It's Santa High School. It's in Marin County, it's in the Bay Area. So shout out to all the Bay Area folks. <laughs> um, so I went to Santa High School, and they had these really cool programs um, for juniors in high school that were about to become juniors where you could be in the physics academy. And the courses that you took, everything sort of helped you achieve. better goal in physics in the sciences or there was the media academy and the media academy with your english and social science classes you were able to rather than just write a book report you could make a video style book report in english for your english classes or you could do it for your social studies like political science like a political campaign and it was such a good informative tool for students to get more engaged with their with their coursework at a high school level. So I was like, I'm going to apply to the physics academy because I want to be an architect. And I was doing like calculus and pre-calculus, all that, all that stuff, which I don't use ever now. <laughs> um, but I thought that I applied for the physics academy and it turns out I accidentally applied for the media academy instead. And <laughs> I don't know how this happened, but I don't know if you know, I checked the wrong box or something, but I get my syllabus or whatever it was called and I realized my first class was in the the technology course of the media academy. And I was like, what? I thought I applied for the physics and I was getting ready to go and say, there's an error here. But then I went to the class and I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the teachers. I loved the whole media theory about how, you know, there's ideology in the media that you see on TV and then the whole creation part of it where we actually got to edit with like the first final cut studio this was before final cut pro 10 came out and before premiere was at the level that it is today so i was using final cut pro studio i think it was five or six at the time and we had a whole green screen booth we had cameras there we learned how to do that and i just loved it so much that i then applied for college for film and media and I was lucky enough to have teachers and a family that supported me and said, no, you don't have to be a doctor. You can be whatever you want to be. And so I pursued it. And luckily with my time management from sports and my creative mind and um, passion and dedication to it, I was able to turn it into a career for myself. And so that's sort of how it happened. That's
0: pretty sweet. I don't believe in accidents. So I believe it was fate.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was fate. It was supposed yeah. to happen. It's crazy, but yeah.
0: Now let's transition to your dark moment in your life. I want I want you to tell us the story of your worst moment in your creative journey. And you work with Premiere a lot, so I'm sure you have plenty of stories to tell. Yeah, Take it away.
1: I mean, I guess we all kind of have those technical mishaps that, you know, suck, like, for example, it unexpectedly <laughs> quits, and then you lose like the last 15 minutes of work, or even the last hour of work, because something weird happened. But of course, those like, those happen a lot, luckily enough. Um, I haven't had a lot of those recently, because I've been taking care of my computers, I've been deleting my media cache, and, you know, doing like shutting down my computer every once in a while. So all those things can help updating your software but like the things that were like dark I think are when you start to involve more people um and it's not necessarily like a dark thing but like in graduate school I was working on documentary and I was involving um you know human subjects and interviewing them and the way that I edited the piece shed somebody in a poor light and I didn't show them the edit before the premiere and it and my lesson from that is always show it to your subjects before because you want to make sure that everything is okay and that you have that relationship secured. But without going into too much detail here, because it is, you know, a sensitive subject for me, I I just, I think that I wish that I could have gone back and just said like, you know, or shown them the piece before. So that way I could have resolved any hurt feelings that would have come from that. You know what I mean? So, cause like, I don't want to cause any issues or anything like that. And, you know, I was young at the time. It was a, I think I was like 22 or something like that. So I still had a long way to go, but it was definitely very informative to me that if you're working on a documentary film, and, and if you guys are listening to this, make sure to show your film to all your subjects beforehand. And even if they don't like it, at least you can have that conversation before it goes public. You know what I mean? So, that, that it's a, like a dark, dark moment for me, but it's, it's definitely something that I was like, oh, I made a mistake. And like, now I've learned from that. You know what I mean?
0: No, that's great advice. And, you know, I volunteer for an organization here in town. I, I when I was a child I received, I was helped by them. And so I do some speaking and I'm always like, when I'm on live TV, I'm not worried about it because whatever I say, it's going to be live. And then you know if I said something wrong, oh, well, but when you're pre-recording the interview, you're at the mercy of the editor. And I always, I always get nervous about those because sometimes they chop up stuff a certain way and, uh, things appear different, you know, just, I don't yeah. know, just the way people patch it together, it makes me very insecure, but it's true. And it, it it's like that across the board. I mean, with writing, or plenty of articles were written. <laughs> they were like, no, I'm not the owner of this or I'm not the owner of that. Sometimes just, uh, I do even with these podcasts, I always make sure that I send a copy to the person I interviewed just to to make sure that they're okay before I publish it live just to to be safe, you know,
1: oh yeah, I mean, for this type of stuff, it's not too much of an issue because you know I'm aware of everything that I'm saying and everything, so it's just about the context of it, but yeah, I mean, it just goes to show that editing can really really change the way something is perceived sometimes. So that's something to like always think about, like ethically as a filmmaker, when you involve human subjects, it definitely brings the ethics to a different level, especially if it's about like a community of people at the documentary. So definitely something to think about um, if you're interested in a documentary, um, you have to make sure you get your subject's consent and you you maintain a good relationship with them.
0: Yeah, you know, another question I want to ask you because you publish so much content, how do you deal with criticism, negative criticism?
1: Like I said before, I take everything as a grain of salt, meaning that I don't take everything super seriously, but sometimes, you know, criticism can affect people more than you would expect. Cause I can just be like in a happy moment, like making dinner. And then like, I get a notification, check the video. And it's some like stupid comment that (laughs) isn't really relevant at all. And then it just like makes my mood dark all of a sudden. Like, why am I letting that affect my bubble? You know what I mean? So you kind of have to really take a step back and just say like, either acknowledge it. Usually what I'll do, if it's something that's kind of relevant, but not really, I'll usually just say, Hey, thanks for the feedback. There's many different ways of looking at it or something like that. So I try to address it if it's like fairly normal. But if it's something just like, you know, clearly just trying to to pop my bu- bubble or make some, some sort of nasty comment, I'll just ignore it. But yeah, I don't, I run a community uh, group too on Facebook. It's called the Gal Video User Group. And I started that group for people that have technical questions because I get a lot of messages saying, hey, how do I do this? But I'm like, hey, go to this group and you guys can and leave comments there and questions there so i try to like direct things to that group in a sense so that way people can have discussions and it's not just me giving advice it's other filmmakers cuz you know it's such a collaborative there's so many different methods so usually if it's something r- regarding a technical thing i'm like hey like let's have a discussion about it here you know what i mean so i try to be very professional about it like i'm like kind of like my my business on youtube is more of like helping people. And in that sense, I'm always like trying to go back to like what the goal of my YouTube channel is about, which is sharing knowledge, especially for people that maybe don't have access to a higher education, a place where people can find reliable and helpful sources. And it's not a place for people to come and and be trolls. You know what I mean? Like, and people know that. So it's, it's not like I'm going on YouTube and doing like a Shane Dawson investigation on on Justin Bieber or something. It's You know what I mean? Like I'm not opening myself right. up for that. So most of the po- uh, the comments are positive. And if there is any relevant criticism, I will take it and be like, thank you for helping me improve and thank you for calling that out if it was wrong. You know, because you ha- if you are ever wrong, I think that's okay. We're human. You know what I mean? So just say, wow, thanks so much for helping me out with that. And rather than taking it as somebody attacking you, say it as an opportunity to learn and grow.
0: No, definitely. Now, is there anything that we can do every single day to become better filmmakers and storytellers, in your personal opinion?
1: I think just have as many experiences as you can. Because if you want to write good content, you need to go out in the world and experience things. You can't sit in a box and expect to change the world. So go and challenge yourself. Do things that make you uncomfortable because that will ultimately make better content. And I know that when I'm sitting on my couch and I'm like, I don't want to be sitting here on my desk talking to my camera right now. Let's go film outside. And um, that changes perspective too.
0: Definitely. Now let's transition to your best moment in your creative journey. Share that one.
1: I mean, there's been a lot of like highlight moments. I think one that really stood out to me was actually – there's a couple. One is from actually when I was in high school in the Media Academy. I was tasked to direct the end of the year film, which was basically a bunch of highlights and doing skits, kind of like a yearbook, but in digital form. And we would show it at the end of the year. And it was just such a cool experience. And just like showing that on the screen and having everybody laugh, like in the whole school and our gymnasium was just so cool for me. And that's when I was like, I love sharing with other people and experiencing those moments. And um, I went on to like write um, a couple short films in college and we had the screening for that. And it was just such an amazing experience again, to actually have people enjoy the work that you're doing and to feel that energy in the audience. It's just, it's so invigorating and it's what makes you like want to continue to grow and continue to make content for people. Yeah. Pretty cool.
0: That's awesome. Now, you're doing a lot of things. You know, I was saying earlier how looking at your resume, I'm like, my gosh, Kelsey's doing everything. (laughs) So I'm curious, how do you unplug from it all, though? At the end of the day, how do you unplug from everything? Because, like, for example, I'm a father, I have two kids, I'm married, and I'm having a hard time unplugging from it all. Do you have a, a system that's working for you?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I'm married as well. My partner and I have been married for four years. I have a dog as well so um you know i have a personal life that i like to keep private for the most part and like when i get home i'll just we'll watch jeopardy (laughs)
0: we'll watch
1: (laughs) we'll watch netflix go on walks with dog go on hikes you know what i mean and i think that it's healthy to keep your personal life away from your work i know some youtubers they they integrate that into their content And that's not really something that I'm interested in because I need that privacy to unplug too, if you know what I mean. So I think for me, I just like to have fun and not take life too seriously. I love to cook. I love to eat out. I love beer. I love wine. I love, you know, doing all that stuff. And it's helpful actually that I now have Whipsters in my full-time job because it helps remove me a little um, from the YouTube space because when I was doing it full-time, it almost takes over and it's hard to unplug. You know what I mean? So in a sense, yeah. So in a sense, it was actually healthier for me to come to Webster because it helped me unplug more. And I know that that sounds ironic because I'm actually doing more with the full-time job, but it actually helps separate that a little bit more. So that way I wouldn't be thinking about YouTube in the evening or what I was doing next. I'm like, okay, I'm coming home from work. I'm not doing YouTube today. I'm reserving filming for next Monday and editing next Tuesday. And that's it. So <laughs> it sounds ironic that I actually got a full-time job to help me unplug. <laughs> but um, it's it's true. It did help. And, you know, just as I was saying before, setting certain days to work and certain days not to, I think that will definitely help you set those boundaries. So you have time for your loved ones and have time for the things that you love to do outside of your passion, which if you work in film and video and Mograph and media in general, it is a difficult job to turn into a job because it is kind of starting as your passion, right? At least for me, it did.
0: Oh, yeah. Now, in, in closing, you were talking about Whipster, and it's perfect segue transitioning my next question because I was going to ask you to uh, f- recommend an internet resource, and Whipster is a great resource. So I want, I want you to just uh, brag on Whipster for a second. <laughs> How did you get, get involved with Whipster, and what kinds of things? Uh, are you guys doing over there
1: for sure so i actually my relationship with whipster actually started when i started my youtube channel in in july 2016 i just started my account and somebody on the whipster team like tweeted at me said hey like if you want to learn more about whipster just like let us know because i somehow discovered them through some blog post and then they ended up being one of the first sponsors on one of my youtube channels and I had just started using them and then I started using them on my YouTube channel for my client feedback and reviews. So you can upload, let's say that you worked on a client video or a video that included some sort of sponsorship on YouTube and you needed to send it to them for approval before you publish it. So you upload it to Wipster and you can send them a private link that's password protected or just unlisted link and they can leave annotated visual feedback on that video and it could be an image or design as well. It doesn't have to be a video. So you upload it, then they can just like click on an area and say, oh, I love this. Or they can actually say, actually, can you change this? Or I see a typo there. And everything is is kind of aggregated in that one video. So you don't have to deal with like a bunch of different emails saying, Hey, can you change this? It's very visual and easy to use. So if you run like a business like Ukra Media, where you guys are doing like you know, logos or animations, or you're doing any coursework or any type of video work, I would highly recommend Whipster because of the fact that it just makes it so easy for your clients to leave feedback and ultimately makes you feel more professional too, because it's almost like a project management tool in a sense for your video work. So you can say, Hey, this is still getting reviewed, or you can mark it as approved and ready for publishing. So if you work with like yourself, you can still use it, of course. But if you work on a team of like a couple people, it helps bring all that vi- visibility in one space. So you can see that somebody on your team already left that comment. So you don't get repetition. For example, if you went to Sergei and you were like, Hey, can you, can you give feedback on this? And then he said the same thing as somebody else in an email. But if you shared him the link on Wipster, you know, Sergei would be able to see that somebody already said that already because everything is visually there. So it just makes everything more simple and easy to communicate with your team, especially if your clients are remote, which is more often than not these days. I work with people all over the world, so there's no way that I can meet with them in person and say, hey, can we watch this together and give live Mm -hmm. feedback? That's a pretty, pretty rare thing these days.
0: It is. It really is. And where can
1: people learn more about Whipster? You could just head to Whipster.io or whipster.com, either one of those URLs work. And if you guys do run a YouTube channel or you do podcasts or any sort of social media community work, like a blog or something like that, just reach out to me. My email is kb at whipster.io and I'm running a partner program, which is an affiliate program. When you guys get a free whipster account and then you get a a commission on referring new customers to whipster as well. So it's kind of like a win-win for everybody.
0: And are you going to be at NAB this year?
1: Yes, yes. And I organized a creator meetup on Monday, so I would awesome. love it if, if if you guys are going. I'd love for you guys to attend. Um, Sergio will be there for sure. Yeah, it's in this container park in Las Vegas, so it's a nice escape from the convention center. And it's seven to nine p.m. at Oak and Ivy, and the RSVP is on our website landing page for nab show it's whipster.io slash nab 2019 so you guys can rsvp there and i'll be there a bunch of other video creators will be there it'll just be a nice way to have some appetizers a drink network and just chat we'll also have some giveaways as well
0: awesome and i saw those giveaways there's some some good stuff yeah i I think it's it's it's, uh, too soon to apply for it or to enter no you you can do
1: it now you can do it now you Um, can yeah, decided we decided to, to make it. Yeah, we decided to make it live now because we realized it just came together a lot quicker because I initially was like, oh, we'll launch it on the 25th. But then I got a ton of, of donations already. So I was able to, to launch it live, but it's live until April 14th. So through NAB show and then the winner will be selected at random and get the grand prize.
0: Sweet, awesome. um'm yeah. well, I have it bookmarked and I'm reminded because yeah. uh, I you know Sergey's going, and so I was like, "Man, there's some good stuff there. Some good yeah. camera equipment. I saw some a mic, I believe, and a few other things." Yeah, and I was like, "Man, this yeah. is keyboard and a lot uh, of good yeah, stuff. the keyboard." <laughs> yeah, I remember it was everything was just so awesome over there. I just remember thinking, "I want all of it." Where when do I? <laughs> yeah, now, uh, are you gonna are you gonna be at Adobe uh, Max this year? You presented last year, right? Well, you did the yeah. did you sessions or did you do Oh
1: yeah. Yeah, I did um I did labs and I had one session. And man, that was nerve-wracking. I have to say, I don't know how Sergi reported back on his experience, but it was a lot of work to do that. Um it but was, it, was, it was, was also really rewarding in the fact that you learned a lot. Um it was a different way of interacting with people than just teaching on YouTube. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know if I'll be presenting this year, primarily just because last year I did like six conferences and I kinda and Goodness.
0: I've you I'm are kind everywhere. of I need a
1: break. You know what I mean? So it's kind of wow. like one of those things where like advice for people is like just go big your first couple of years that you start something because then you'll know what events give you the most rewards back. And I've been to Adobe Max a bunch, so I'm always about like trying new experiences. It's kind of like what I do. So if I'm feeling overwhelmed about something, then I'll just say, you know what, not this year, there's always another opportunity to come. So say yes, in the first couple of years, but then you can decide, you know, which things make the most sense for you. And you can be more selective about what you do. But I love Adobe Max. And if you if you guys plan on going, um, you know, I may just attend, but I don't know if I'll present.
0: Mm-hmm. No, that's cool. No, and you're, you know, just working with Adobe is pretty sweet. And so Sergio will be coming back. He'll be doing labs this year. So he's super excited. This is a big deal for us, especially for Sergio, because when we moved to the United States, we didn't speak the language at all. We were like 12 years old and we learned how to use Adobe products before we learned how to speak English because a sponsor dropped off. A computer at our house with all the adobe stuff on it and so that's amazing for, yeah for us to be working with adobe we were just at uh, ibc in amsterdam with adobe nab sergey will be speaking with adobe on expression so it's just like a huge huge deal we still can't so process cool. it all that's it, amazing. It, it's amazing
1: yeah i saw sergey at um at ibc as well i was there with adobe so oh well, yeah had a little yeah, we met up at the colors are- <laughs> mixer. <laughs> well, half the year, I don't know if I told you this, but half the year I live in Poland with my partner because that's where they're from. Wow. So so actually wow. Eastern, you know, I'm learning the language there almost the opposite of what you guys had to. And man, it is not easy <laughs> language. That's for sure. It's hard, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah no, just
0: learning, just adapting in a new environment. It's uh people take it for granted. You know, most people don't know how hard it is to blend in, in the culture, to sound like him, to walk like him, to talk like them, especially Eastern Europe and the United States. That's that's two just two different ball games. So hats off to you for trying to to Try. learn it all. And <laughs> our last name is Polish, so Proknyevsky is so we have some Polish roots.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, yeah.
0: So we're we're Ukrainian, Polish, something like that. Anyway, <laughs> we're just a mixture of everything. Now, in closing, in closing, Kelsey, how can people get in touch with you?
1: Yeah. Well, I'm active on all the social media. You know, I have the Facebook page, which is just facebook.com slash premier gal I'm on Instagram. My handle is, is at premier underscore gal because somebody took premier gal. Oh, no. <laughs> so I know that underscore kills me. And it's the same on Twitter. I also have that underscore between premier and gal, but yeah, like, I, I tend not to say to email me, but I also have an email contact at premiergal.com. The reason why I discourage it is because I I would hate to miss it. And sometimes with email, I just find it difficult to always stay on top of it. But with social, See like me. I can, yeah, with, with social, I feel like it's more instantaneous and I'll be like on a break or something. And I'm able to respond. So social is definitely the way to go to get in contact with me. I'm totally open for collaborations. I recently did a collaboration that was entirely remote with Kitty of Atola Visuals, where I had her film herself, and then I integrated it into the actual video itself just by editing it together. So collaborations can be done remotely, just like we're doing right now on the podcast. So definitely reach out if you have an idea. Like I'm always open to it if it fits into the schedule and makes sense for us both. So yeah, that's it.
0: All right, Kelsey. Well, listen, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing your journey with us. We appreciate it. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: Hey, thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to share it on social media. I'd also be very grateful if you can rate, review, and subscribe to Ucrimedia Podcast on iTunes. It will only take you a few minutes, but it will help a lot in ranking this show, and it will also help other creatives discover this podcast. So, huge thank you in advance. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to email me at vladimir at and definitely check out our courses and products at ucrimedia.com. As always, don't forget to join our online mentoring group on Facebook at ukremedia.com slash community. We have well over 2,900 people in this group. It is a great online resource for those of you trying to grow and it's absolutely free. Thank you so much for joining me on the journey of this podcast. I appreciate you and I look forward to serving you in the next episode of the Euchromedia Podcast. Bye-bye.